0: You're listening to a message from the Winsboro Church of Christ. This is the Winsboro.Church podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or prayer requests, you can get in touch with us at any time through our website at Winsboro.Church. It's November, that means only two months until 2020 is officially behind us. And that is encouraging and hopeful, and I'm looking forward to it. There's no guarantees. Now, it's just a couple of days now until we can look forward to having the election behind us. And again, I'm hopeful, I'm eager, but there are no guarantees. That is the world we live in today. It is the world we have always lived in, and this world here, this current reality does not come with guarantees, but our heavenly reality, our our belief in the eternal, that is our guarantee, and hopefully that brings us peace here, that no matter what Tuesday brings, we have peace. No matter what twenty twenty one brings, we have peace because and we we have our guarantee, not in just what we can see, but in what is unseen, in our eternal Father, and Jesus his son, and the Holy Spirit who lives and works and breathes through us. We are closing up our study in the book of Daniel today. Uh, we're finishing up this series called Faithful, Wise, and Out of Place. And we're ending with probably the most famous story in the book of Daniel. Chapter three is very famous, and maybe my personal favorite. The story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. But even more well-known, I would argue, is that Daniel and the lion's den And that's Daniel chapter 6, where we're going to conclude our study on the book of Daniel for now. There are several more chapters in the book of Daniel, but we'll leave those for another time. We're focusing more on the lessons and the stories of the book of Daniel. The last half of the book, the last sections are more about the dreams of the book of Daniel. His visions and his uh, anticipation of what is coming. But Daniel and the lions. then. Uh, I, I would encourage you, worshiping from home, as you are, to pause the video. Just crack open Daniel chapter 6 and read it. It's going to be likely a familiar story for you, but uh, take advantage of the medium that we're using this morning and just pause me, put me on hold, and stop and just read the chapter. Read this beautiful story of how Daniel went into the lion's den and, of course, came back out. In just a moment, we're going to look at the characters in this story and see maybe where our place is and isn't, what our role is and what our role isn't, if we envision ourselves as characters. First, I want to look at two amazing verses, two two amazing statements that are made in in this passage. Let's look at Daniel chapter 6, verse 5. The men concluded... We won't find any pretext against this man, Daniel, unless it, is in, unless it is in connection with the law of his God. This is an amazing statement. See, these conspirators are trying to trap Daniel. They're jealous of Daniel. Daniel has risen to honor within the kingdom. He is quickly becoming the king's right-hand man. And the other counselors and people in the king's court are jealous, and they want to bring Daniel down. And so they've dug and they've tried to discover where Daniel is corrupt or where he's hiding something and they can't find anything. So what they say is, well, he serves his God. If that is the worst our detractors have to say about us, we're doing well. You know, Daniel, this idea of being wise and faithful and out of place, if, if the reason we are out of place is because we serve the law of our God, then be out of place, then that's a good thing. We don't need to try to be strange or weird just for strangeness sake, but if we follow the law of God and that makes us different, if if that becomes a target that others would seek to use to our disadvantage, We are in good company. We are in the company of men like Daniel, and we are really in the company of Jesus, for they could have nothing against Jesus, other than the fact that he spoke what God desired him to speak. He did what God desired him to do. Really, that's the reason he was crucified. So if that is what is held against us, hold it against me. I hope that it is The standard to which I pursue myself and pursue my character and align my character with the character of God, and that yeah, I'll stick to the law of God. Another amazing passage, a twofold statement, really. Daniel spoke to the king. O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and closed the lion's mouths, so that they have not harmed me because I was found to be innocent before him, nor have I done any harm to you, O king. Daniel is famously thrown into the lion's den and he comes out the next morning because the angel has shut the mouth of the lions. And so Daniel is alive. It's a miracle. God intervened and rescued his servant Daniel. And Daniel says, the reason I'm innocent, I was thrown in here, but I am an upright and righteous person. And that is shown today because God has rescued me, that God has rescued the innocent. He's rescued the righteous. He's rescued the one who didn't deserve to be punished but was being punished anyway. So Daniel is confident, not that he's perfect, that he's righteous, that he lives by the law of God, the one thing that God had thrown in there in the first place. And then the second part of that is he tells the king, King, I have caused you no harm. See, the king had Daniel thrown in the lion's den because there was this, well, this entrapment that occurred as the otherwise men crafted and conspired to cause Daniel to have to choose between following his king or following his God. And Daniel followed his God. He didn't hesitate, didn't flinch. He went up to his room and prayed, even though the king had forbidden prayer. Daniel went up and did what he always did. He prayed. Well, his detractors were waiting to catch him in the act and they did and they hauled him before the king and said, King, you said he threw anybody prayed in the lions. Then the king doesn't want to. He likes Daniel. He depends on Daniel. Daniel, again, is one of his trusted advisors and he knows he can count on him and he tries to think a way to keep from doing it, but the law has been written. The law has got to be followed. The king shows up the next morning at the lion's den and Daniel's alive and, and Daniel calls out from the lion's den. And he says, I'm innocent, king. This is the proof, I'm still here. God has found me innocent. And that's really the only judgment, that's the only decree that Daniel really fully cared about. And he said, and king, I did not cause you harm. I've served you diligently. I've done what I could to be a blessing to this kingdom. And the king recognizes that.
1: Now I wanna look
0: at the characters in the story. And I think if we can, know which character we're supposed to be, it can help us to know who we're not supposed to be. For instance, one of the first and primary characters in the story is the king. And the king is the one who makes the decrees. He makes a bad decree, an unfair one. He decrees that all prayer in the kingdom shall stop and people should only pray to him which sounds incredible to us with our values and ideals in this nation of the government not being able to tell people to do that and that being a part of our very founding documents and this idea of freedom of religion. Well, those things didn't exist in the empires in which Daniel lived and served. And so this king says, nobody can pray to anybody or anything No other king, no other person but me. I kind of see a little bit of a campaign commercial going on here. He says, you can depend on me. I'll fulfill all your needs. Depend on me. I'll take care of you. Anytime an earthly person says that, he's lying. Whether he is down here or politically speaking up here. Depend on me, I'll get it done. I'll take care of it. Just turn to me and, and, and I'll be all that you need. Not a chance. That's what King Darius, though, was being tricked into thinking was the right thing for his kingdom. Again, these advisors whispering this idea in his ear. And he's the decree maker, he's the law maker, Because really, Human authorities, government authorities are established by God. Doesn't mean they're good. Doesn't mean they make good laws. But it does mean that we're not the lawmaker. In this amazing country, we get to vote. We get to have a say in our elections, and I am proud of that fact and I'm grateful for that fact. But we don't make the laws. And some laws are gonna be good, and some laws are gonna be bad, and it's really not up to us to try to counter those laws. We simply live underneath those laws. Now, we don't necessarily have to follow the laws, especially, or primarily, significantly, the ones that would counter the law of God, to choose the law of God, the law of man, we choose the law of God every time. I hope we do. I, I hope I do. I hope I want to. But other than that, even bad decrees that I see are foolish and corrupt or just weak and problematic, they're still the laws under which we operate. And, and for all that Daniel did, Now, the command was, don't pray. Well, Daniel climbed his steps into his upper room, turned toward Jerusalem, prayed. But he didn't try to rewrite the law. He didn't try to undermine the king's decree. He didn't try to take the king's place. He just continued to be wise and faithful in the situation he found himself in. Another character Characters are those jealous counselors of the king, those other governing officials within the kingdom that the king has had appointed, but they don't like Daniel. And so what do they do? They conspire, they plan, they calculate, they maneuver. They position themselves and try to find something wrong, can't find it, and so they invent something wrong. They're using all of their powers to advance their agendas. And that's what I see in the political machinations of this year we are in, that everybody's using everything at their disposal and and crafting and working and developing their political plans. There are those people. And it is the way earthly politics often does work. It's not Daniel's role. Now, Daniel spoke wisdom into the king's court, but he didn't try to connive, craft, or manipulate. And because of that, he became a well-trusted advisor to the king. But he, when he was, the, the crafting and the conniving was geared at him. Notice what Daniel didn't do. He didn't start crafting and conniving to counter it. He simply stayed wise and he stayed faithful. The next character in the story are the lions. And think about I don't know if you like lions or not. I think they're a pretty amazing animal, very majestic. Very dangerous. Uh, one of my favorite lines is from C.S. Lewis, who in his story, The Chronicles of Narnia, depicted Jesus as a lion, which he got from the Bible, the Lion of Judah. But in the character of the story, the one that identifies the aligns of Jesus, that's the hero, that's the Savior, that's the sacrifice. So many things that Jesus was. I mean, it's obvious what C.S. Lewis was telling in these stories, but there's a line in the movie where they discover that, oh, this king is a lion. And the little girl in the story asks, well, is he safe? And the other character in the story who's talking with her says, of course he's not safe, but he is good. Uh, Jesus is that good lion. Now, the lions in Daniel are not depicted as good. They are depicted as dangerous creatures ready to devour, ready to destroy, ready to tear apart and crush. That Now, that's what their function was. This lion's den that the king had, I don't know if he'd built it or just found it and pinned off or you know, kept guards at or whatever, but it was his place to deal out justice, the death penalty. Carry them to the lion's den, throw them in, and let the lions do their work. The lions had that work to do. Their job was to devour and to destroy, to tear down, to rip apart. That's not our job. Galatians 5.15 says, However, if you continually bite and devour one another, beware that you are not consumed by one another. If this verse doesn't apply to our political rhetoric, I don't know what does. We are so eager to tear down, to destroy, to devour, to overwhelm our opponents. And in the process, our opponents are eager to to devour us, and just it's one attack after another, after another, and if everybody's a lion, it's not good. If everybody's destroying and tearing apart, then nothing is getting built. Nothing is being added. Nothing is being contributed. We aren't those who devour. We are those that through our wisdom and faithfulness, steady perseverance, even in the midst of being surrounded by these devouring lions, we hold what is good. We prove ourselves righteous. We prove ourselves innocent because we don't attack and destroy. Then the next character is the one that we don't see in the story, but the one that Daniel tells us was there. He said, an angel of God came and shut the mouths of the lions. An angel from God was sent and shut the mouths of the lions. I don't know about you, but I get pretty tempted sometimes to want to shut a few mouths. Um, And some people, they would be a whole lot better off, I think, if they did shut their mouth. And I sometimes feel the compulsion to want to shut it for them. Again, not my job. Not your job, not Daniel's job. God will silence his enemies. One day, every mouth that would reject God will be shut firmly will have nothing more to say. As for right now, they babble like fools. Okay. God will shut the mouths of the lions when he sees fit. It's not my place. It's not my job, not my role. And of course, the, the main character, the big character, the good character, the one we should try to emulate is Daniel, the wise and faithful servant who in this story the title of this sermon, he persevered. He went through the lions. He survived and overcame the corruption and the contrivances of his detractors. He just steadily did what he knew was right. Again, the king said, you can't pray. What does he do? Drops to his knees and he prays. And that gets him in some trouble. We will not find ourselves in trouble. We persevere. We know that God can check the mouth of lies. We know that God can overwhelm the evil and wicked forces that would be tearing us down. And even if for this life we may find ourselves In the lion's den, we believe wholeheartedly in the kingdom to come, in the life to come, in the eternity that cannot be consumed or devoured or ripped apart. We know what's waiting for us. So we will, like Daniel, persevere through the dark night in the lion's den, knowing that the morning is coming. On a final note, in these sermons I've been preaching that have had a political application that I've wanted to make, I hope no one, God most of all, would find me advocating for complacency, would find me using this idea of how Daniel interacted with the kings around him to use it as an excuse. Well, I don't have to be loud and confront and I don't have to toe the line and do and stick to what's right. I can, I can just back up and say, yeah, what happens happens. That is not what I see in Daniel and not what I want to convey to us as the body of Christ that I want us to be calm, to be a place of peace, Uh, to to be a source of peace for those around us in a crazy, chaotic world. I want us to steadily continue the course of wisdom and faithfulness and not feel the need to make problems worse by trying to fight the fights that are not ours to fight, but are God's. But that doesn't mean I can just shrug my shoulders and say, oh, well, it's not what Daniel did and not what Jesus shows us and not what the great Christians of our faith and history of scripture teach us, who are bold and stood up for what was right, even if it was unpopular and brought some consequences upon themselves, but did not care because they knew that they were following God. And so I feel like these messages here at the end, I I wanna make sure that they're well balanced. Let's not be complacent. And the question is, how do we do that? How can we just kind of faithfully, like Daniel, show wisdom, and calmness and peace, but yet not be complacent. Then a story that came to mind uh, today. Actually, I was I, don't, I was wrestling with this. Like I don't want to leave the wrong impression. And what struck me was John chapter eight, the story of the woman caught in adultery. The experts in the law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught committing adultery. They made her stand in front of them and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone to death such women. What then do you say? Now this is entrapment, plain and simple, very much like the entrapment of Daniel. Jesus' detractors know that they're not going to find fault in this character, so let's put them in a position where there's no right answer. If he says, stone the woman, they'll go, Rome, Rome, this man's trying to carry out the death penalty. He's not living by the Roman rule, which Roman rule stated that the death penalty was Rome's alone to give. And so Jesus would be in trouble with the Roman authorities. If he said, don't stone her, then they would say, well, you don't follow the law of Moses. You caved into the law of the world, and so they, they thought they had it. Just like those conspirators against Daniel thought they had Daniel. Well, God is not caught in a net. You can't entrap God, and you can't entrap God's son. And so Jesus famously answers, whomever among you is guiltless may be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, when they heard this, they began to drift away one at a time, starting with the older ones until Jesus was left alone with a woman standing before him. This famous line, he who has no sin, catch the first stone. When it comes to not being complicit, the key I see is the key here that Jesus used. Overcome evil. Don't be bound to it. We're told in Romans, overcome evil with good. Don't try to overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. Jesus here sees this evil situation, and at the heart of it lay a sin, an obvious sin. What do you do about that? Whenever people are doing something just downright wrong, perpetuating something that's downright wrong, Proclaiming, sharing, trying to build their platforms and their policies on something that's just downright wrong. What do you do? Well, you overcome it. And you don't overcome it by fighting with it on its terms. You overcome it with good. Jesus saw this law of the land, this decree that wasn't just law of land, but it was God's law. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And then later on in Exodus, anyone caught in adultery is to be stoned. It's that serious of a sin. So they asked Jesus, what should we do? Cast the first stone if you haven't sinned yourself. Whenever we want to oppose vehemently man. These policies and things in politics that are just downright ungodly, yeah, we stand against them. We don't just succumb to them, but we also realize you overcome evil with good. You don't let sin go unchecked, as far as you know, you, sin is sin. And you don't hesitate to acknowledge it as such and resist it. And tell others to get rid of it. That's why Jesus eventually tells this woman, go and sin no more. But we don't have to cast the stones. And not our job, because I don't know about you, but I can't say that I don't have sin. And Jesus, the only one who could have cast the stone, said, they don't condemn you. Neither do I, but go and sin no more. Something else Jesus does here is he prioritizes people, not policies. There are a lot of multifaceted issues and policies in being discussed in these politics in the upcoming election. And some may see them very black and white, others may see them as complicated and others just... Still trying to figure it out and to find the right way to look at it. And that's what I'm still, I guess, doing in some ways. (sighs) Wanting to listen, uh, wanting to understand, but not wanting to excuse or, again, be complicit. So how did Jesus do that? Well, he knew the policies, he knew the rules, he knew the standards, he knew the laws, the good laws that God himself had given but his heart was with the people. Jesus didn't want to follow a rule for a rule's sake. He wanted people to be blessed. And if that's our motivation, it'll go a long way to keep in check either extreme, either going too far or being complicit. If we really care about people, it'll help us find that wise way forward. We are called to speak from God, not for him. What I mean by that is, I don't wanna be presumptuous and tell people exactly what God thinks of them, because I'm not God. And that's a hard thing to remember sometimes. Sometimes I, I read his word, I, I see his decrees, I see how he has moved in history and how he promises to move into the future and the guidance and the instruction and the warnings he gives. And I can speak from that. And I can speak those words. That's what I hope I do as I preach is to convey the words that God has given us largely through scripture and then convey the same words, the same ideas, the same message to us now in our modern context, in our modern lives, so that we can follow it. So I want to speak from God. I want to be His ambassador. That's what we're called to be, It's be ambassadors for Christ and, and, and proclaim reconciliation. Tell people, be reconciled to God, because that's what God has said. So speak from God. Speak his words. Let his words pass through you to others. Let his truth and his wisdom. uh, Just be the conduit. Be the ambassador through which it goes out. But don't speak for God. Again, be the ambassador for God. Don't sit in his seat. Even Jesus, who was himself, divine, who himself was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but humbled himself. And the story of this woman caught in adultery is a great picture of this. Again, the one who could have thrown the stone said, no, not what I'm here to do. Even Jesus, did not want to be presumptuous in order. He's a great example of how not to be presumptuous. We don't get to sit in God's seat and make God's judgments for Him. We just get to take the words He's given us and pass them on. And, and that can be a little bit of a fuzzy line, I guess. A difficult thing to to balance, but that's our goal. And how we can be wise and faithful and simply persevere and be a steady, calm, peaceful presence in a topsy-turvy world, but yet not be complacent. It's because we speak from God and hopefully God speaks through us but we don't try to be God. We don't try to speak for him and tell others everything God would tell them. We just tell them what he's already told us. Live for him, serve him, be wise, be faithful, even if you're out of place.